welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most interesting topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 202nd edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 678th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of February 18th, 2021. I am your host, the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's banner moment occurred after Indiana's victory over Minnesota on Wednesday. In his postgame interview, Coach Archie Miller made a comment about Rob Finnessy that really stuck with me. He said, quote, Rob, qu- Rob cares, uh, unquote. He then proceeded to mention that this caring may lead to Rob thinking about his game instead of simply playing his game. This is so easy for fans, media, and even coaches to forget. Playing basketball means a lot to these college athletes. At times, your greatest strength can also be your greatest weakness. Something clicked between Coach Miller and Rob during the lead-up to the Minnesota game, and Rob played one of his best games of the year and helped IU to a must-win. Now the question is consistency, and that's been around all year. That is a million-dollar question with Rob, this team, and the program. Can they play well consistently enough to maximize their abilities? What I do see is that not only Rob cares – Shortly after the game and the press conference, freshman Christian Lander and Anthony Leal were out on the assembly hall court getting up shots. Those two had limited or no run in the game that had just ended. Just as impressive was that Trace Jackson Davis was out rebounding for Anthony Leal. I honestly believe these guys care, and in the era of one-and-dones, of players opting out when times get tough, non-COVID opt-outs, and players skipping college altogether to get their pro career uh, ready and going, it is enjoyable to know that the players care. Now the only thing left, and it's a big one, is to win consistently. Consistently. Let's go, fellas. Okay. Now, uh, let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. Uh, Ryan couldn't be pulled away from retweeting Fernando Tatis videos on Twitter, so he won't be with us tonight. But here to my left. He'll have fun, fun, fun. Fun, fun, fun. Fun, fun, fun. Fun, fun, fun. It's Andy Bottoms. Andy, you were on the postgame show last night. Any additional thoughts after a day to reflect on last night's victory over Minnesota. I feel like I'm mostly just tired, quite honestly, after staying up to do the show deal whenever we uh whenever we wrapped up and then got the file to over to over to Jared. So uh no, I think I, I, I'd kind of pick up where I left off and with my closing comments last night. It, it we're twenty one games in with this group and I think it's fair to know what is and isn't realistic with them at this point. So whatever notions we had set out at the beginning of the year around could this be a top four, top five Big Ten team, I think we know the answer to that question now. And so the task at hand is figure out how you get to the NCAA tournament. And so the win last night was a step in that direction and the game against Michigan State on Saturday, believe it or not, a, a game against Michigan State is a, a quad three game as you look ahead to where that might fall on an NCAA tournament resume. And and that makes it essentially another must win and a chance for this team to take care of business at home, continue to build a little bit of momentum, and then be ready to figure out what they can do in those over those final three games or maybe four or five, depending upon uh, what the Big Ten ends up doing from a scheduling perspective. So that's really how I look at it as a team that took care of business Last night did some things well, struggled in other areas at times, but uh, for a team that has not shot the ball well or that's been such a point of contention with fans, I think last night was a good uh, a good step and hopefully a confidence builder for a number of guys like Rob that you mentioned in the open. So uh, that that's really how I'm looking at things, and as you probably are with the uh, with the group at Delphi, I feel like I'm, I'm shifting into viewing virtually everything from a college basketball standpoint in a bracketology lens, so why should I do anything different with IU at this point, right? Yeah, absolutely. I got three games going on right here as I'm broadcasting and and trying to figure out uh, how it affects the bracket. But uh, Indiana's won three games here uh, out of four, and they haven't always looked pretty. But um, let's get a few a few more W's. So he is this season's inside the hall slash assembly call intern. He wrote the single best feature story of the season so far when he told the story of Armand Franklin's special relationship with his mom, and he's a lifelong. 
Don't get too mad at Adam in the chat mob. He's a lifelong Tar Heel fan who is wondering why IU fans have been so negative this season uh, and last season. I mean, at least we're terrible like North Carolina now, right? Um, he is Tyler Toshman. Tyler, welcome to the show. Uh, what are your opening thoughts, and, and what have you seen from uh, IU basketball recently? Yeah, thank you for uh, for having me on. I guess first off is just uh, a lot of snow being from North Carolina right now. Um, not not used to all the snow, so um, trying to get used to shoveling a little bit more uh, than than I have probably the the past decade of my life. Um, but but just kind of thoughts on on last night's game. Um, it, I mean, the, it was fun to watch in the second half. Um, they they looked a, a lot closer to the team that I think a lot of people had kind of hoped that they would be at the beginning of the season where you have um, Al and Rob, you know, playing, playing with confidence and you have Armand contributing, you have Trace looking like a, like a all American uh, player. So, I mean, to me, it was just like, Adam, or like Andy said, it was just a, a step in the right direction. I guess the biggest question is, can they, can they keep that going? Cause that's, that's something that they haven't been able to do just kind of over the course of the year. Yeah, you know, the guard play, uh, Tyler, is so important uh, to Indiana. And when the, the guards play well, uh, Indiana seems to have um, success. And, and sometimes the game can can be just uh, just that simple. So, okay, here's what we're going to cover this week. We have a few uh, Hoosier headlines. Uh, and in the second segment, we're going to get everyone's opinion on the Big Ten, uh, what we like, what we don't like, uh, with about a month left until Selection Sunday. And then we'll answer your questions. All of that coming up this week on Assembly Call Radio. But before we get to all of that, let's talk about insulation, specifically superior insulation from our friends at Superior Insulators. They will make your life more comfortable by helping you fix drafty rooms, cold floors, and even excess noise. Plus, their systems help you save money through lower utility bills. More comfort and cost savings? That's like Jerome Hunter hitting back-to-back three-pointers in the second half of a big game. And with your... With winter here, now is the perfect time to invite Brad and his team out to your home or business so that they can do for you what they did for IU. Yes, the Superior Insulators did all the air barrier systems and spray foam for the new IU Excellence Academy. Brad and his team also worked on the new football locker room, Marching 100 Hall, and other buildings on campus. Their owner, Brad, and his team are Hoosiers through and through and damn good at what they do. And check this out. They have a special offer for Assembly Call listeners. You will get a $50 home field apparel gift card when you call and schedule an appointment in a qualifying area. And the Superior Insulators have four locations covering roughly the southern two-thirds of Indiana plus the northern part of Kentucky. Just tell them the Assembly Call sent you to get your gift card. So visit Insulators, Insulators, I-N-S-E-A-L-A-T-O-R-S.com or just Google, quote, Superior Insulation to learn more and schedule your appointment. Then Brad and his team can help you create a healthier, quieter, and more energy-efficient home. That's I-N-S-E-A-L-A-T-O-R-S.com, N-C-O-L-A-T-O-R-S.com to learn more. And tell them the Assembly Call sent you to get your $50 Homefield apparel gift card. Okay, a few headlines. Uh, as we've played a lot of games back-to-back and, and are having a lot of shows, I, I think one of the headlines stems from last night. was talked about on the show, uh, but Indiana's fast start. They had been getting off the s- uh, slow starts, and, and um, Trace Jackson Davis really got things going. I was going to attempt with our, with our new uh, service here to, to play a video, but uh, I got a little spooked when I, I got started here today, so I'm going to uh, – not show those videos. Uh, also, Indiana, from a bracketology standpoint, uh, a lot of people have them a, a 10 or 11, depending on uh, what happened uh, yesterday or how bracketologists see the results of last night's game. And just tonight, the number 14 Indiana women's team defeated number 11 Michigan in Assembly Hall, uh, and they were a current four seed in the reveal for the women's bracket, and they continue to, to do um, great things. So, uh, Andy, any thoughts on on any of the most recent Indiana headlines uh, as as we go forward? Yeah, I need to go back and watch the second half of the women's game. I had to take my daughter to uh, to practice, so we we watched the first half before we left, but uh, didn't see the second. But was excited to see that they won. Um, you know, from a, a bracketology perspective for IU, I, I think a ten seed. Maybe I had him as an eleven uh, this week, so you know, maybe they move up a little bit with that win last night. I think they're on that 10, 11 border right now. I think the interesting thing from, from that perspective, which impacts IU Maryland to a certain extent is historically, you'd look at teams that are only a game or two above 500 and you'd 
you'd almost automatically disqualify them. I'm not sure you can do that this year in the same way. And so, you know, you guys do this as well. We are trying to look at historical precedent and I'm not sure how much any of that really means this year. And nobody knows how much that really means this year. So I think that's the one thing to keep an eye on, particularly, you know, if IU goes, say they beat Michigan state and then they go one and, and two in those other games, you know, where does that leave you? Does that, is that good enough at that point that that would put you at uh, nine and nine in the league and uh, and fourteen and eleven overall, you know, perhaps that's enough. But it is kind of a, an odd one. And on the on the fast start thing, I, I'd be curious uh, to get Tyler's thoughts. You know, if he saw anything different from them, I don't want to get into the whole discussion about what they look like in warmups and uh, all those kinds of things. But just to, it, just what what seemed different. Um, maybe it was just X's and O's. Maybe it was more than that. But for for somebody who I, I believe is actually there in attendance, I, I'm kind of curious to to get your thoughts, Tyler, on if you really if there was anything tangibly different that you've noticed since you've been at a lot of the slow starts and we're at a, a better one last night. Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't think I can really point to anything specifically. Like I feel like um, every game that I've been to, they they bring good energy. Um, before the game, they're they're very lively in the the pregame warmups and and before tip off. Um, and one thing that Archie mentioned was just it, it's just a matter of like the the little shots going in. Like Trace would just just miss a, a miss a bunch of uh, bunnies, and so just kind of getting those to go in. I believe he had six points in the first like four minutes yesterday. Um, I, I don't really think it has anything to do with the amount of energy. I feel like. Um, they, they bring energy and intensity kind of constantly every game that I've been to. And like you mentioned, the kind of whole warm up deal, I didn't really buy into that a whole lot. I feel like um, they are pretty loose every game. And, and I don't think that that Rutgers game, especially like I, I didn't notice anything out of the ordinary at all. So I think pointing to, to that as maybe as, as being unfocused as a reason why they, they were getting off to slow starts. I, I don't really see any, any like credible um, just point to that. You, you know, Tyler, it's interesting. And, and you brought that up. I'm a big believer in, in getting prepared to play the game and, and, and do things right. And there's a fine line between preparing and, 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 and being loose, you know, and not real tight too. So you can have some fun and still prepare yourself. So it would be interesting for me. That's why I'd really like to go down and see what, what Indiana does in warmups. And it just was interesting that that narrative came out of that Rutgers game that they seem to be um, not, not bought in or at least not focused. Uh, that could be a cause of, of some slow starts, but it's good to see that uh, that you believe that that's not really uh, an issue because there is positive energy and you need to be loose and you need to be confident and you need to have appropriate non-pop-your-collar sw- swagger a- a- as a program. So uh, th- those are some headlines. I think Indiana's a 10-11 seed line. When For us, Andy, when you break it down, their two wins, um, if you take about eight or nine teams that are in that 10-11 seed, I think their two wins against Iowa with the six quad two wins um, – combined are, are better than a, a lot of people uh, on that bubble. So I, I see them as a 10-11. It is going to come down to that overall record, what is going to be interpreted on that overall record. And and I kind of look at it, and our committee has talked about this. If Indiana finished its non-conference schedule as normal, 31 games, they probably have four bye games. And, and you would hope they would go 4-0. and So if you add four games on, the, the record is 16-9, and and Indiana's clearly not um, – in jeopardy because of the two games over 500 record uh, with the reduction in games played. I, I'm hoping the committee um, will look differently at, at teams' uh, records. I think you have to be over 500 uh, to get in. I think the committee would have a hard time putting a Penn State who has got a good resume in. But I, I, think, um, I think Indiana right now is in but needs to keep winning in order to avoid uh, falling off the bubble. And, hey – the Indiana's women program, get a chance to watch them on the Big Ten Network, uh, stream them, whatever. This is a program that needs everyone's attention because I think they're going to have a, a really good game in March. Andy, any other thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the women's team, they've, they've had a couple players uh, opt out here in, in recent weeks, uh, and and they had some players really that have really stepped up in that scenario. They've got a really good core group of uh, of starters who have, have been there a while. You know, Grace Berger is somebody that I will tell my, I'll sit and tell my daughter, I was like, go watch what she does and how she plays. And 
um, just the fundamentals, the decision making, the ability to to score at different levels and pass the ball. Um, they're, they're just a fun watch. Uh, quite honestly, they play with really good pace. They're a team that really looks to get out and wants to push the pace, uh, which uh, is always uh, maybe not always, but often feels more enjoyable uh, and it's something that as you watch the men's team, Archie Miller seems to be imploring them to do quite a bit is to really get up and, and run a little bit. So uh, they're always enjoyable whenever they're on and we can catch them uh, here. I uh, I always tune in and uh, exciting to, to see where they're at in the, the women's reveal and picking up a big win against Michigan tonight. Uh, they'll, they'll push them up that much further on the, uh, on the seed list on that side of things. Okay, coming up on the Assembly Call Radio, we'll take a look at the Big Ten Conference overall, what we like and what we don't like. So stick with us on the Assembly Call. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. This is Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot or an episode of The Assembly Call. Welcome back to The Assembly Call. You can find all of our uh, content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to join the chat mob during our unedited live broadcast or watch the, those replays and see all the between-segment banner, then check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash assemblycall. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and Tyler Toshman. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about Big Ten um, and uh, where Indiana fits uh, in, in many areas. So we'll start out this way. Um, Tyler, your thoughts. Uh, there's talk about how good the Big Ten conference is and every night's a grind kind of conversation. Uh, you, you've seen a lot of games. You've seen a lot of teams. Um, how many teams out of, out of the 14 do you believe will honestly make the tournament? And are there any teams that you think are – needing uh, to, to solidify their resume uh, heading down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we may be looking at nine or ten possibly just to depending on how kind of the last couple of weeks shake out. Um, but, I mean, I think it's been interesting to kind of just see the trajectory of, of Maryland's season um, as they're kind of maybe making their way into the bubble um, right now and then and Penn State was kind of in that same type of run before losing to Nebraska um, but one of the interesting things to me this year is just all the ups and downs of, of the teams you have a, a team in Northwestern who was picked to be last in the Big Ten and then they come out and win I guess I think they were three and oh and cracked the top 25 and now they've lost I think I think Indiana made it nine in a row, maybe or something. I think they might be up to double digits losses in a row now. Yeah, up to twelve was actually amazing. Yeah, yeah, they're three and twelve in the league now. Yeah, and then I, that's just kind of mind-boggling to me, like how you have. That's how deep the league is. Is that you had a team that everyone thought was going to be in last place, and then three games into the season, they look like they could be a contender, and then all of a sudden they they're just not even relevant at all. Um, so it's just, it's been interesting for me just to see kind of a lot of teams shuffling up and down. And, and I honestly, I've been, I've enjoyed watching Michigan too, because I feel like coming into the season, Michigan and Michigan state were maybe kind of in that same, um, category in terms of they're both losing two really, really good players in Michigan state losing Xavier Tillman and Cassius Winston and Michigan losing John Teske and Xavier Simpson. And we've just seen them go in totally different directions in terms of Michigan just just skyrocketing behind uh, Jawan Howard and, and, and Michigan State just kind of sinking to the bottom. So um, it's just been a, a very interesting dynamic that I've just kind of enjoyed to watch play out so far. You know, Tyler, you bring up a good point. There have been lots of teams that have major 
major runs. Uh, Rutgers loses five in a row, then I think they've won four out of the last five and got them back in in you know uh, above five hundred in the Big Ten, and it is it is just brutal. Um, that uh, I, I think even Nebraska is scary to play right now uh, in the Big Ten. Andy, I know you and I do some bracketology work. I, I think I think there are ten teams that are worthy. I, I just think also um, this committee is going to lean a little bit with with mixed number of games to maybe making sure an A ten gets two teams in, making sure the American gets two teams in. Um, that's not normal bracketology talk, uh, but in this COVID year where teams are playing back to back games and everything, I think. You know, when it comes down to those last four in, you might not see the better resumes in. You might see teams that are deserving a little bit lower, uh, but because they're, you know, Wichita State is an example. I, I'm not sure how that ended tonight uh, with their game against Houston. Um, I think they won. Yeah, I think they so, won so that's, that's their only win. Their resume isn't great, but they have no quad three or four losses. So, Right now, if we, we put out our bracket tomorrow, we're either going to have nine or ten, as Tyler said. Um, I could see eight, uh, possibly, uh, in the Big Ten. How, how do you think the conference strength plays in those last three or four teams' resumes, lifting them up versus um, other conferences? It's interesting because I think the the major leagues often are the ones that get a lot of the backlash when the the selections come out in terms of well you just get you know they had more chances of quality wins and they went you know four and ten in quad one game so they had fourteen cracks at it and won four what does that really show uh, and I think that is probably a, a sentiment that will be exaggerated this year as you go through some of these teams and uh, you know in leagues like the Big Ten where almost every game falls in quad one or quad two and and what does that really look like so i i could see the things happening that you talked about you've got the mountain west has a bunch of teams right around the bubble you've got the a10 that's got a handful there uh perhaps the american now in, in that regard so in the misery valley people clamoring to get two bids there if if drake and loyola continue to play well so i think i could see some of that where you give the benefit of the doubt to those teams in a year where they had even fewer opportunities to maybe schedule up and uh, and play teams that you you lean a little bit more on, um, you know, some of the analytics and things like that. I think you saw that with where Missouri got placed. They had some quality wins, but the computer numbers didn't really love them, and they ended up, you know, close to missing the top four seed line reveal, and then uh, have gone out and since lost, I think, twice. Um, so perhaps vindicating that that sentiment uh, from a Big Ten perspective, uh, I think you've got seven that you feel pretty good about it. And in, in terms of Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State, Iowa, Purdue, Wisconsin, Rutgers. And to me, it's then how many of IU, Maryland, Minnesota make it? Because I'm not really sure that anybody else has a, a legitimate case unless they go on a run. And so if you look at the schedule of those teams, we know what IU schedule looks like. Maryland uh, finally gets a little bit of a breather. They play this week. Uh, they do have a road game at Rutgers, but then they've got home Michigan State at Northwestern, home Penn State. They should be able to – theoretically go you know three and one in those games if they do that they end up 10 and 10 they played their full league schedule uh and they're you know probably in, in reasonably good shape there minnesota is interesting because they've yet to win a road game and even in a year where there are no fans in road games you don't know what the committee is going to do with that uh the good news for them is the three of their last four are at home where they've been uh, really really tough uh they've got illinois at home on saturday then they played northwestern at home go to penn state and play rutgers at home so Theoretically, if they play the way they have at home and Maryland plays that well, both those teams have a chance to, to you know, win three of their last four or uh, something in that range. And that kind of puts the on IU to figure out how they fare down the stretch. And there's also still the unknown of if and how the Big Ten is going to reschedule some of the games that have been lost, uh, two of which impacted IU. Uh, and who would have guessed that IU fans would be like, yes, let's go to the Breslin Center. I would I would really like to do that. We'll give a chance at a, a win that, that we need as opposed to uh, probably everybody uh, calmly stepping away when the uh, opportunity to go to Michigan is presented. Tyler, do you think the moving the Big Ten tournament to Indianapolis is any benefit for, for the Hoosiers? Um, just less travel, a more familiar venue, and we know that Armand Franklin loves to shoot uh, the, the ball. It's not in Banker's life. I think it's going to be in Lucas Oil, but if he has that Indianapolis vibe, we can expect five to ten threes from Armand, and we'll be just racing right through the, the, the tournament. But do you think that's any advantage to uh, Indiana being that close to home and the possibility that maybe you have 20% fans uh, that there might 
likely be local fans. Uh, I'm not sure how many fans would necessarily travel. Um, your thoughts on a, a Big Ten conference in Indianapolis? Yeah, yeah. My first, uh, my first thought was that that's great for Armand Franklin. Like that's 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 probably he he must be looking the most forward to that than anyone on the team. Um, and it was interesting too because earlier in the year he said he didn't know what it was about Indianapolis. He just uh, he said he shot. I think he had a good game in there at uh, high school too. But he said he didn't know um, what it was uh, why he he was shooting so well. But yeah, I mean, if they do allow fans, that's huge. Um, and I'm sure that 20% capacity um, that IU fans will want to go there, like no doubt, because not being able to go to any games this year, and, and I'm sure there's tons of people that would that would fill that place up to that to that 20% capacity. So I mean, I think that could be a huge thing, and and a lot has been made this season of just creating your own energy without the crowds. And to be honest, I think at this point in the season. Um, like I think it, the storyline's kind of been worn out. Like I, th- that's just kind of the the way it is at this point. I don't think you can um, look at a game in Assembly Hall, and of course the fans would make a difference. Um, but I don't think you can look a game look at a game and and kind of use that as an excuse as, as to why they lose. At this point, it's just kind of it, it's just mono a mono. Whoever's the better team is close to a neutral court. Um, but yeah, I mean, if they do get fans back, that that would be huge. And also looking at it in the perspective of if Indiana is able to make it into the NCAA tournament, they're already in Indianapolis. Um, they don't really have to do any major traveling after the Big Ten tournament. I think that was that was a big um, draw to moving it from Chicago to Indianapolis is that you have teams there and then and they can kind of stay in that bubble, which which might be really important for trying to keep the guys safe. Andy, was I correct that they it's not in Banker's Life, right? It's in Lucas Oil. And then your thoughts on on that isn't an advantage for for Indiana. Uh, I I don't know. I'll try to look that up uh, and see to be to be sure of that. Um, I refuse to believe as many IU fans that anything that happens in the Big Ten tournament uh, will play to IU's advantage at any point in in the future. So being said. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I thought Tyler brought up some good points, all, all kidding aside, but, um, it, it is at Lucas Oil. I did, I did, I did confirm that. So, um, I think from a, you know, maybe a guy like Armand, it helps. I think the fan thing is probably the more interesting part than the venue to me. Uh, I think games that, that I've watched this year that have allowed some number of fans, even at a, what seems like a minimal capacity, it, it feels like it sounds like more. And I don't know if that's being, uh, getting used to the fact a little bit that um, th- that there haven't been fans and games are generally quiet, so any noise makes it seem like it's really loud. But I think you've seen examples of where a a smaller number of fans can still make enough noise to really impact the game in some of these other leagues that are allowing um, you know up to the 10, 15, 20 percent, uh, whatever it is. So I think that part could be uh, could be interesting. But like I said, I, I struggle to uh, I struggle to believe that anything is going to play to IU's advantage in the in a Big Ten tournament scenario. Another thing for our listeners to, to follow from a bracketology standpoint is what our conference is going to do with opt-outs, uh, teams that are already in the NCAA tournament not wanting to play their conference tournaments, uh, and then does does that create a, a bid thief, a, a school that wins the, the conference tournament that likely would not be in as an at-large? Uh, how does that play out? That That's something that our group has tried to figure out, but um, that'll be interesting to watch. So here here's the segment uh, that I really uh, – Want, and we're going to throw it to Andy first. Uh, Tyler, you can get, get your thoughts going. Uh, Archie Miller's out of this discussion, okay? So we're not going to have any discussion pro or con on Archie Miller. But of the Big Ten coaches, Andy, who who is someone you like? And you can share your criteria, whether it's style of play, personality, or whatever. Everything's open. A coach that you really like uh, from the Big Ten, hard as it is being an Indiana Hoosier to like anyone, uh, and, and someone that uh, you're not f- you're very uh, fond of. Boy, I, I, I've conditioned myself, I feel like, over time to not really like too many of these guys. I, I, I will say I'm really intrigued by the job that Juwan Howard has done at Michigan. Um, n- not just because it's a guy who, you know, from the alma, goes back to his alma mater and coaches well. I think that's a narrative that IU fans want to, you know, always, always comes up a lot with these types of scenarios. But I think it is a guy who was in the, you know, played in the NBA for a long time. And even later in his career w- was kind of 
you know, grooming himself to become a coach at that level did work there and was able to bring some of those things. I think it's interesting to think about what that means from a recruiting standpoint, interesting to think about what that means from a schematic standpoint. And I think this year, as Tyler mentioned uh, earlier, the job that he's done while losing a couple really key pieces uh, and keeping things together and even, you know, having a lengthy pause coming back, going to Wisconsin and winning that game where they started slow, probably because of, you know, really just getting back into the flow of the game. But I've just been really impressed with the job that he's done, what he ends up being long term. You don't really know, but he's already been able to navigate losing key personnel and turning things around the season later and still performing at a really, really high level. Um, so he's one that I'm, I'm intrigued by and, and curious to see what he can become. Um, if you, you did, you ask me for one I don't like. Yeah, on the, you got to add one. That, this that you're part too, or you want to fond of? Boy, that that feels like that's probably easier. I mean, I, I feel like the easy answer is Fran McCaffrey, um, just because of the antics and and all the stuff on the sideline that doesn't really amount to a whole lot when it's all, uh, you, you know, when it's all said and done. I think, um, just kind of the same problems year over year, just in terms of the defensive stuff. I think he's assembled a really good offensive team but hasn't really been able to create uh, or correct issues that have been there and i just there's a part of me that him losing his mind on the sidelines while is amusing as an opposing fan doesn't really do uh doesn't really do a great deal for me just from a hey i think this guy's really got it together standpoint um so i'd say him steve peichel is probably the other guy that i i really have a lot of respect for in the job that he's done turn around tough situation at rutgers has basically laid out this is the kind of dudes i'm gonna go get has went and had him and has a very defined style of play, identity, uh, all those kinds of things. So he'd be another uh, maybe honorable mention one on the on the positive. All right, Tyler, your turn. Uh, coaches that uh, you're intrigued by, like, or uh, and co- coaches that uh, you don't like inside the Big Ten. Yeah, I have to uh, – I kind of had the same thought process as Andy here. Uh, I guess first starting off with the one that I, I probably am not, not really fond of, Fran McCaffrey. I, I've sat – um, a couple rows uh, away from him during the the Iowa game at in Assembly Hall, and the amount of f bombs that were thrown um, was it, it was it was a healthy amount of f bombs. I'm just gonna say that. Um, but yeah, I mean he he doesn't seem like a, a guy that I would necessarily go out and want to play for immediately. I, I don't know him as a person. That's just from me me sitting and, and hearing all the cussing. Um, and kind of in the temper, I, I know he got a technical that game too. And so um, just him interacting with the referees too didn't really um, inspire me in any ways. Um, but yeah, in the same, the same way, and, and the ones that uh, I kind of like is, uh, yeah, Jawan Howard, just kind of reading up on him and seeing the type of relationships that he he's built with his players is that he he really buys into them. He invests time in them. He, he wants to hear um, – what they like, what they don't like. Um, he's, I mean, he sounds like a true players coach and he's been there, obviously. He, he knows what it's like to be a player, um, but he also kind of has that coaching mentality now. Um, so, I mean, I think he, he's a guy that definitely can really relate to to the situation that the players are in, especially being playing for uh, for Michigan. And I guess another one too, I could add to this is Tom Izzo, just just because of the longevity that he's been there for. And and obviously he's a fiery guy too, but um, with that, I know he had the situation with Aaron Henry, I believe it was a year or two ago when there was kind of some ye- or yelling and it was a controversy, but um, I think he's a guy too that just um, really cares about the, the players and, um, and he's just he's been there for so long and done a great job. It's it's been uh it's been a little odd to see them just kind of really struggle this season. You know, I, I'm I'm overly pro coach, so it's really difficult to to be negative on, on coaches, but I'll make it unanimous with Fran McCaffrey. I, I, I just I, I think one, uh you gotta get better defensively. Uh, two, I think you can control your emotions uh as a coach. You you can be fiery and you can do things, but there's just been a numerous number of, of situations um, that, that it would be hard for me to, to defend um, him on the sidelines. And I think there's so many good coaches in, in the Big Ten, which is what makes every night a grind. And, and that's something, too, we all got to remember. These are some of the better coaches in the country. 
Uh, I know Tom Izzo had had some situations with behavior, and and there's some questions about you know what what they do up there to to discipline. Uh, that's been a little knock on his resume, but I'm a big Tom Izzo fan from a basketball standpoint. I love his pace of his fast break and and the point guard oriented and the emphasis on rebounding for me is just a tremendous uh, thing. I, I I will be real quick with this because I know it's an Indiana show, but um, sadly Matt Painter is really good. And I know Jared, if he was on the show, he would uh, he would say so too. It's really bad when your rival coach is is someone that that maximizes uh, the players that he gets. It, it's kind of you know, it's kind of like Tyler. You know, your your dislike for Coach K probably being a UNC fan. You know, you, you got to admit that the guy does something well, but you you don't want him to ever win. So those those two. Um, are, are the two that, that stand out for me. So we, we got a, a little bit more time here to talk. Um, Tyler, Ayo or Luca uh, for uh, Big Ten Player of the Year? God, that, that is a, a very tough question. Um, I, I mean, I, I think I just have to go with Luca. Um, by, I mean, I, by, by a very, very slim margin. Um, they both can – affect the game, scoring, rebounding, and passing. Io had that triple-double a week or two ago. And and I was almost going to go with Io, but I think the way that Luca Garza just um, commands the attention of the whole defense in terms of them having to double-team him and, and getting guys in foul trouble, um, if you put shooters around him like they have, I mean, that's, that's almost unstoppable because either you leave – leave one-on-one and he's going to beat you almost every time you have to collapse and, and they kick out to Bohannon or Wieskamp or something. And fortunately, Indiana was kind of able to avoid that this, this season, at least in, in those two regular season games. But um, just the, the way that he uses his body and he's not even quick or anything, but that's what's so impressive to me is he's not like a very quick guy. He's not like athletic and he's making guys just look silly, just night in and night out. Andy, who who do you have for Big Ten Player of the Year? Yeah, it's it's definitely a tough one. I think you look statistically, they both got a lot of things that they do well. They're both shooting over 40% from three, both averaging over 20 points a game. Um, I, I This is almost certainly recency bias, just watching Io make clutch plays and down the stretch in these last couple of games. Now, you could argue you shouldn't have to make clutch plays against Nebraska, uh, but he... <laughs> But he really, really played well down the stretch in that game. Made some big shots uh, again. Who are, I forget who they played uh, earlier this week. I'll uh, I'll get it here. Northwestern. He he made some big buckets there. Um, and assist numbers are a little bit better, which I guess is what you'd expect from a guard. I, I would lean him slightly, and I think I may have said the same thing before the season. So maybe I'm just doubling down on on what I thought before. But uh, I'll go with him. Plus his team's higher in the uh, in the Big Ten in the in the standings. I think there's a little bit of something to be. Uh, said for that as well. Tyler, we're not ganging up on you. I'm, I'm going Ayo. I've just had a crush on him for the last two years. I never knew coach was going Ayo. He's, he's, he loves that guy. That, that guy, I saw him. Uh, I covered some games over uh, in Champaign and, and got to be in the media room when he came in. He just has an air about him, a cockiness, appropriate cockiness about him. But you're not wrong at all with Luca. Luca is amazing. Um, with his lack of athleticism and the way he scores 35 just around his moves around the basket. I think it's, you know, obviously Luke has got the, you know, the return and the notoriety coming into the season. So he's probably in the lead for national player of the year and big 10 player of the year. But boy, I like the Sumu. Uh, he just, he's just clutch uh, in, in every way. So to wrap up this segment, uh, Tyler, you've been covering a lot of games. You've been able to go on the road a little bit uh, for your duties. Um, what road venue have you not been to that uh, you'd kind of like to go see either uh, as a reporter or as a fan someday? I think uh, the rack would be a really interesting to, one to go with, with fans there. Um, Cause I mean, it just seems like that, that place just really gets pumped up in terms of the, the uh, just how loud it is and, and just kind of the passion. And especially now, I mean, I don't, did Rutgers lose a game at home last year? It, it may have been one at the most. Um, but I guess that, that would definitely be a venue that I'd want to go to um, as you can just tell the, the, the passion that that everyone in that the the uh, the arena has. Andy, um, where would you like to go if you uh, 
had Jared pay for your all-expense-paid trip uh, to cover a Big Ten game? Uh, I, I'd say probably Michigan State when everything's humming there. You know, as you listen to whether it's the Hoosier Hysterics guys or A.J. Guyton on his podcast asking uh, players about toughest places to play, that's almost unanimous and uh, what they would say there. So I, I'd like to see that. Maybe I'd like to see it when they're playing somebody other than IU, but I think uh, when when it's really humming and you got fans backing in that place, uh, everything that uh, that you hear suggests that's pretty special. I'm a sucker for old stadiums, so so the rack would be one. Uh, I, I The barn in, in Minneapolis is something I'd like to see before they build a, a new a new arena and, and move out of there. I, I like some of those those older uh, arenas. So that's just a little bit of a look at, uh, at the big 10 uh, where we see them uh, when we uh, coming up in um, our third segment here, we'll get back to some Indiana basketball talk. We'll be answering uh, your questions, uh, some th- lineup talk in the questions. Uh, very good. And what Indiana has to do to make sure they're in the NCAA tournament. So stick with us here on the assembly call. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. This is Nick Zeisloft. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Tonsoni here with Andy Bottoms and Tyler Toshman. Um, remember, you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. Uh, we send out a weekly IU News Roundup even during the offseason, and after every game we send out a detailed postgame analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. It's now time for our mailbag. All questions were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community. That can be found at assemblycall.com backslash uh, community. And uh, we have a couple of questions about the lineup. That's been a hot topic here lately. Craig uh, said that even though race is very efficient, um, what are your thoughts about Jerome starting alongside Trace Jackson Davis in place of race? And then also um, Patrick um, asked this. Archie mentioned trying to get more run with Hunter, TJD, and race together, knowing what we do know now. Knowing what we do know now about how they're playing, what would be what would that do for the team? So, uh, Andy, I'm going to throw that to you first. Uh, what role do you see Jerome playing? Is it still off the bench? Is it more minutes? Is it possibly coming into the starting lineup? He has really played well since getting back from his uh, not playing because of coach's decision. Yeah, I, I kind of like him coming off the bench as an instant offense guy, and, and you can have somebody that comes in with that second unit provide you some lift uh, off the bench. I think Race is is a guy that is going to earn a starting nod more often than not because of his defense and rebounding, and, and I think those things become really important. In terms of, of playing those three together, I think we've seen in some of these games that's, that's become very matchup dependent as to what they did. I think they played together a decent amount in the Northwestern game, I want to say, uh, but not not in the Minnesota game. And I think the Minnesota game would have been kind of any of the perimeter guys that were playing would have been a tough cover uh, for Jerome. Now, you can argue could have been the same thing on the other end for uh, for Minnesota, but I, I don't I think that's going to be matchup dependent and and if Jerome's playing well and trying to figure that out. So I, and I think that's what they have been doing. I, I think that makes sense. It, I, it certainly wouldn't be opposed to just seeing Jerome get a few more minutes here and there, particularly if he comes out, hits a couple shots and, uh, and, and is playing well. But I think as we mentioned on the show last night, he's a guy that has a lot of confidence on a team of guys that, that seem to lack that at times. Um, so having a guy come in and be able to bring that off the bench, if these slow starts continue, can he come in and light a fire, get some in, instant offense going so i think kind of how he's being used now is is probably what you'd continue to see other than maybe throwing a few more minutes uh, his way here and there tyler thoughts on jerome uh, and his improved play of late 
Yeah, I agree with Andy. I think it's at this point, race is too valuable to take him out of the starting lineup. He's a guy that just adds a lot of toughness and, and energy to the lineup. And I like Jerome with just being more of an offensive threat coming off of the bench. Um, one thing that I do kind of want to say is that I, I wish that Jerome could get more minutes at the three. Um, Cause I think having, having him at the three gives them a lot more size. They can crash the, the boards harder. The problem with that is though, they just don't have the, the depth in the, in the front court to do that. And, and Archie has been kind of reluctant on a consistent basis to play Jordan Geronimo. Um, so, I mean, I think he had two minutes last night. So you, I would like to see Jerome at three a little bit more just to kind of shake up the lineup um, and give them a little bit more height. But I think at this point, um, with Joey Brunk out, it's, there's just not enough bodies down low that Archie has, has kind of played consistently that, that will be able to afford Jerome the opportunity to do that. And especially because if you have Jerome and Race and uh, Trace all on the floor at the same time, if you start piling up fouls really quickly with them, then you then you get into a little bit more trouble too. Yeah, I, you know, the, the, the decision will have to be, Ken, Jerome guard at the three, uh, a more perimeter player, but I really like him at the four. Those those uh, pick and pops, or we call ghosting the, the ball screens, where he runs up and acts like he's going to ball screen, and then just runs to an opening. and And he seems to really have a knack for hitting those shots. I think that adds to the Indiana offense, uh, along with his aggressiveness. Uh, I, I think he's going to get more time, uh, and he's just got to maintain it defensively uh, going forward. Uh, next question. Um, Jeff says, what did the panel think or what do we think of the team's ability to use sets uh, to get good open looks for the offense or to create penetration opportunities off the dribble? Tyler, uh, Indiana had one of their better offensive nights last night. Uh, what did you see being there? I mean, I think pretty simply it was just them hitting threes. Like, they they just – they didn't really shoot a, a ton of – I think it was 12 total, but um, just them, them making threes – you saw how quickly it can change the game when you have Armand and um, Jerome hit back-to-back threes, and then they went on that long run that ended up kind of pulling away. Um, I think that when they do kind of get stagnant, um, they do they have those kind of a lot of dribble handoffs, and they have too much side-to-side and not enough downhill action. Um, and I think one thing that Armand Franklin does a really good job of, job of is he he gets downhill. Um, pretty quickly and he can kind of be a guy that can can jump start them I think that you know that's what he did in the Northwestern game um, but when they when they're not getting good offensive looks they just it, it's too much side to side and, and they're not they're not making um, making as much as just north and south Andy I know you spent a lot of time talking about it last night but uh, you know offensively the the sets seem to be uh, obviously more effective last night yeah I, I think i think you've seen them run some plays specifically for shooters at times and, and there's maybe an argument to be made to do that a little bit more they've run some nice sets for armand feels like the, the typical beneficiary of some of those scenarios where they uh run him off screens and um i think that the pace is really important for this team where they it, the the more the quicker they play then the more they're able to get into to some of the things i think like tyler said if they're doing Lots of dribble handoffs and too much side to side. They start to look like the fourth grade basketball team that I coach, where we aren't being aggressive and attacking the basket and don't make things happen. And that's never a thing that you really want to hear uh, about about anybody that you look like a fourth grade basketball team just dribbling side to side. But I think when they really try to get downhill, which is consistently a struggle with this team from a personnel standpoint, that helps open things up. Um, but they ran a couple nice. Uh, they had a couple nice plays. that got Jerome Hunter looks late in the game uh, inside. They even on one of those um, screens that he, you know, kind of ghosted as you said. They set a, a flare screen for him where he could get out on the wing and and picked up his man. So I think they're doing some of that stuff. It's a little bit hard to tell at times how much of that is by, you know, is truly running a set for that particular guy or it's just part of the natural like read that you would have in the in the situation as the guard. I, You'd I probably think, be the best one to answer this yeah, question. Think- you left yourself for last. <laughs> to, to the pace of the sets were important. I think they ran a lot of sets. They run that little um, high-low floppy action Jeff in the chat room likes to talk about, uh, and they got some curls and some dump-downs out of it. But when you initiate offense earlier, you have more chance for it to work. It's all, all it's the way through. That was that lob play. They That was a third or fourth different 
you know, option coming off of that um, from the beginning. But so so many times they, they waste eight, nine, ten seconds getting into a play, figuring out what they're doing, and that's that more aggressive rob. Uh, and I think then the, the best play of the night was a fast break. It wasn't even a set where they threw it up to Armand uh, Franklin, and, and he buried uh, buried the three on the fast break to get the six-point lead and really kind of broke things open. So uh, I do think that the sets are being run more efficiently, and shooting, as Tyler said, uh, definitely uh, adds to, um, to the success of the offense. That's it. We're done. No more questions. Okay, so uh, that'll do it uh, for this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the live show, Join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for producing a lot of the music that you hear on the show, and special thanks to Ted Valentine for absolutely nothing. And thanks for you uh, for listening. <laughs> thanks, Ryan, for putting that in there. Uh, we'll talk to you again Sunday, um, uh, Saturday, after uh, Indiana's home game against Michigan State. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. All right. Uh, that'll do it. Uh, very good. Tyler, thank you so much. Excellent job on your, your first show. I'm sure you'll be back at some point. And uh, as we've said over and over um, again, we, we really appreciate what you do. Um for inside the hall and, and, and the assembly call as, as an intern and, and your writing. And we wish you nothing but luck going forward and everything that you, you wish to do. No, thank you. I, uh, I appreciate you having me on and um, yeah, definitely look forward to coming back at some point. Yeah. Andy, awesome. You got some, you got some compliments in the chat as well for what that's, for what that's. Yeah. For, and that's so. sometimes difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, and a shout out, shout out to your family too. I saw your family uh, tuning in and and making some comments in the chat. I think Dad was in the chat. You know, um, you know, uh, you're you're looking at two dads right here, and we're awful proud of of our kids. And that that tells uh, tells us why you're so good at what you do. You you seems to have a a family that is interested and cares uh, about you. And uh, you know, just make sure you buy Dad a nice you know present for Father's Day and everything going forward <laughs> since he tuned into the show. No, yeah, I will for sure. <laughs> I might, I, I might have to get him a papa shot. Andy, I see that behind you. Do you get up? You get up many shots? That was a, uh, that was a Christmas, that was a Christmas gift that was uh, under the under the guise of being for the kids, but was really something that I knew that I would enjoy just as much. So, uh, so my older daughter and I came down here after we uh, after I had them open at Christmas morning, put it together, and had it had it up and running. So, uh, probably not as many as I probably not as many as I would like to. My my older one, when she gets on it, is is trying to you know kind of beat her records and different stuff like that. So, uh, we'll get down and, and play, and it gets a little a little competitive at at times. And that's Andy. Why you're a better father? Because in the background is a bar and a beer fridge, and and I bought those for me, not for the kids. Although they're they're now now of age, so. Um, yeah. Well, the fridges are on the corner the other way. So all it's, right, very it's good. still here. So I'm not, hey, um, I'm, not, I'm not back. I'm not that good. Don't, don't get it twisted. <laughs> Andy, there was one question I think uh, we can throw it your way. Uh, Patrick asked, um, any insight into other near bubble teams that we should be paying attention to to help our resume or maybe uh, Patrick's meaning to make sure we get in? Who, who are we kind of root, rooting against? That's yeah, the way I look at it. Yeah, I mean, I think we we hit on a couple of the leagues at least earlier. Where Atlantic Ten, you've got—I mean, somebody's going to get the auto bid, but you've got St. Bonaventure, Richmond, St. Louis, VCU, all around uh, that range. So, how many of those teams get in? I think what you'd like to see in some of these is some separation. The same thing holds true with the Mountain West, where you got Boise, uh, Utah State, Colorado State, San Diego State. You know, if a couple of them separate and maybe knock a couple of out of the picture, I think that um, that helps. And those leagues are in that scenario. Pac-12 has got a couple close to there. Uh, Oregon, I'm just kind of looking at the bracket matrix right now. Uh, you know, Oregon is, is there. They had a pause and, and have had some injuries, so they're getting back to full strength. But Stanford, uh, that one's kind of an odd one for IU where you'd like to see them win games because it makes IU's win in Asheville look better against them. But you might like to see them lose because uh, they're, they're in contention there. Uh, we hit on some of the Big Ten teams. Uh, Ole Miss is in the picture, uh, I suppose. The American, you've got Wichita State with the win tonight. I think you'll start to see them 
uh, climbing a little bit. Uh, so those, some of those, it's, it's really those leagues. If you could see some separation there, uh, the Missouri Valley is the other one. You know, does Drake take another couple losses and maybe play their way out? Because I think Loyola feels uh, more safe at this point than than Drake would. Um, the, so those are at least the teams that are right around that that cut line. Maybe even a Western Kentucky and Conference USA, depending upon what these leagues do with their conference tournament. If they wouldn't make it, they've at least had a couple of nice non-conference wins. And um, it's interesting. Oh, go ahead, Tyler. I was going to say, I'm curious, is Arkansas pretty safely in at this point or – I think they're uh, they've they've picked up a couple big wins lately, so I think they're safer. Um, it was interesting they they were in a situation where they didn't have any bad losses, but they didn't play anybody in the non conference and uh, weren't very good in quad one games, but had been pretty good in in quad two. So they're uh, they they're safer at this point, probably like in the eight ish range. Looks like bracket matrix. They're uh, they're actually the highest seven on the bracket matrix. So maybe I'm maybe I'm off on that or haven't adjusted very well over the course of the week. But they're they're doing relative. I, I'd say they're uh, they're a lot closer to safe than they are to the the wrong side of things. It, it's I was be... just thinking. I mean, so I was just gonna say. I, to me, I'm just thinking about a storyline. If if Indiana would somehow play eight nine against Arkansas or a seven ten with Justin Smith, that that would just be that would be that would be an interesting matchup for sure. Oh it's boy, a, yeah, that would be that would things. be one that that would be interesting. A couple ahead, things that are interesting that is the the lack of a of the 30 to 31 uh, regular season games consistently over college basketball is going to be interesting for bracketologists to deal with because there's just no way there's no, you know, nothing like it before. And what, what's the committee going to do with that? Uh, You mentioned St. Louis and Oregon teams that have less games and their records look better than Indiana, but they didn't play in a conference like Indiana, Indiana, I think it's Kansas and IU have played 16 quad one and two games. Um, and, and there's some teams that haven't even played five uh, quad one and two games. And their record at 13 and four looks a lot better than 12 and nine. And it's going to be really interesting to see in that six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 range and even on the bubble what difference that makes um, for for those teams you know I, I, I we're looking at st louis they were really good went on a pause lost a couple after the pause now they're starting to come back um how do you evaluate that versus an indiana who's played um tough teams so that that's going to be interesting and the other thing tyler i found out in the last five or six years i always thought the ncaa committee set up those those games indiana versus arkansas would, would be really good because it's tv and all of that and they really don't and, and what happened more than anything was when it was um, geographically based, um, then Indiana Kentucky would get matched up more because they would go to the same venue uh, more than it was building the Indiana Kentucky rivalry or, or things like that. So it'd be interesting now with everything being in Indianapolis if there are some of those fluke things. But every time I put together a bracket and I see some games like, oh my gosh, everyone would think that's manufactured for television, but it's just the way it's just the way the bracket kind of. Um, kind of falls those are some interesting things yeah what you brought up about st louis coach is interesting because I, I view it the same way as some of these injuries and i know there were uh, i forget how many years ago this was when notre dame made a late push bonzi colson had been out he came back they played good in the acc tournament and it was like well he's back they're they're this they're that well y- you can't assume they'd have won games when he wasn't there right. and especially that team my argument against them was they lost some bad games when he was healthy so you can't then say, oh, well, they wouldn't have taken some of these bad losses if he was if he had been there the whole time. And so it's kind of the same thing with this, co- you know, the COVID stuff. Like, well, if they didn't go on pause, they'd have won these games. Well, you don't really you can't really assume that. Um, and nor can you assume they would have won games they didn't play either. And I think that was one of the questions I asked the uh, you know, the, the folks at the reveal on on Saturday was, you know, how you're dealing with some of those games. And it's like, you know, we're evaluating you and what you actually did do. We can't make inferences or guesses. Uh, educated or otherwise as to what you would have done if you'd played all your games or done some of those things. So it's even totally agree, uh, but even weirder. Here's the frustrating. If you're a Clemson fan, like Clemson was nine and one, had some big wins, go uh, goes on a pause and then loses three games by big numbers, like huge to Virginia, a couple bad results that really threw their metrics. They were in the mid twenties in the net. Now they're down at 40. Uh, they're starting to work their way back. But you look at their resume, three and five, and no losses outside of quad one, and, and 
they didn't respond well coming out of the COVID. You look at Michigan, Michigan's now tonight going to probably win. They're going to be 2-0. and They've come out of COVID with wins. So there's no way to, you know, you can't discount Clemson and say, well, you had COVID and you came back. But it's obvious that the Clemson team that came back from COVID wasn't the Clemson team that played a majority of their games. That is going to be so difficult for us trying to predict um, yeah, this is yeah, this is going to be a, a wild one for sure. And you didn't have a lot of those teams in the reveal. It's one of the reasons why you'd like to see the reveal be get a little bit deeper into the bracket so you could see how right. they treated teams like that. Because most of the top teams have been good the whole year. And yeah, there were a few things here and there that I think, you know, that you guys might have had a team swapped and I had a team swapped here and there. But you kind of you kind of knew and a lot of those teams had really established themselves, not had as many of those kinds of issues. It was really trying to figure out if you really want to learn something from that, like what teams do you want to see? And and some of those just weren't up at the, you know, upper echelon of yep. Villanova, uh, maybe of teams and seats to really get that. Yeah. Maybe them. Villanova is yeah. the one that it, I'm trying to figure out. It's interesting too, because Florida state had the same issue with Clemson with the COVID, but then they come out and they just go on an absolute tear yeah. out of the break. So it's like, I mean, different teams just reacting differently. And that's where yeah. I think you're going to see Clemson like at the seven, eight line when really their resume might be a five or a six, because you got to evaluate them on the games played. And if you lose by 35, you lose by 35, yep. whether you had COVID or not. Uh, that's like a, a guy you, – you, you can't account for every injury. Let's say their stud gets hurt seven minutes into the game and they lose by 20. Yeah, they wouldn't have lost by 20 if the stud had played, but that's the result. I do think the committee does a good job of doing that. Like they, they do look at injuries in a macro sense if you're out for a month and then come back. But, boy, to keep track of every little – you know, Armand Franklin was out for two games and Hunter Dickinson was out for this and that. You would be driving yourself uh, totally crazy trying to keep up with understanding all the minutiae inside of, of results. Um, so, yep. be, be interesting. Um, and then, Tyler, last one here uh, for our listeners. There, any guess to why Leal didn't play last night? You were there. Um, he was very engaged on the sideline uh, and then he came out and shot afterwards. So, you know, that might have just been a matchup situation, but your thoughts on why Leo didn't get to play Max asked that. Um... Yeah, I mean, I think the the two things that, you know, it's probably just on a game-by-game -game basis, but the two things I kind of look at is that Rob was playing really well, so they didn't need to go as deep into the bench. Um, he, he, he took he took more minutes um, than, than he had the last couple of games. And the other reason, I guess, is that they were just shooting really well from three. A lot of the reason you need – Leal in the game as if you need a real real threat from deep and Indiana was doing fine shooting without him so I, I guess he just didn't really Archie didn't really look at as something that that he needed to plug in in terms of trying to get a spark from from beyond the uh, three-point arc yeah I I think those freshmen are all matchup oriented I think Lander's getting a little more more run um if he plays well, he's going to get 14, 15 minutes. If not, it'll be a little less. And then, the, you know, Galloway will get in there the same way. But those other two will be as needed um, down down the stretch. Um, Andy, I have a, just a question, then we can let you go. I know we're all busy and, and stuff. But very interesting. Archie uh, stuck with um, Al last night. I thought Al really struggled um, – really struggled defensively, especially in the first half, had the ball stripped from him, um, you know, uh, and, and is, is constantly put into late half situations with the ball at the point, which he has not executed very well. But, you know, I thought maybe there's a chance for Aleel to come in and guard, uh, try to guard or do something. But I thought Al really struggled for majority of that game. And then sticking with them pays off um, because he really hit some big shots and played well down the stretch. And I don't think if if you were upset with Al and benched him for any length of time, it might have made a difference in the game. So that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot too is is sometimes coaches need to have patience um, inside of games with some of your your players. You you know what they're about. You have a different feel for them than fans do. But, boy, there was some point in, in that game where I was just wondering why Al was continuing to play. He was struggling so much, and I'm glad Archie had a little bit of faith in him because I think we needed him down the stretch. And I don't know if you guys – I wasn't – I was only on the show for a little bit, so I don't know if you addressed that on the show or not. No, we didn't. We didn't. Uh, we talked a little bit about you know putting him in situations to really handle the ball and initiate the offense. Jared talked about that with you know that didn't go well 
Uh, I think end of half against uh, Northwestern, it was didn't go well at the end of the half last night. That's just not something that he's that that's a strength of his. So why put him in the position to do that? Um, I, I was a little bit surprised as well because he was it, it was clearly a game plan thing I, I, with with all the guards, but with Al in particular, you know, Mashburn really drove him really from early on. There was a you know one of the very first plays of the game, he drove him baseline and was by him in a in a snap and. So I think that was part of their game plan for one, but even, you know, kind of getting through screens, I thought he struggled, but not long after he, he didn't play well defensively to start the second half. Then he hit a big three that maybe is, you know, maybe he hits that. Then I think Jerome hit the couple immediately following. So, you know, do you make that shot and give yourself a little bit of a, a reprieve and stay on the floor a little bit longer? I, I don't really know. I was a little bit surprised. I don't know if Leo would have been the direction. I, my take was, in addition to what Tyler said, you got guys getting driven all over the place by their perimeter guys, and I'm not sure that Leal's um, more adept at, at stopping that situation, but you also didn't have a bunch of guys who were doing it really well either, so maybe what's the harm? Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I was a little bit surprised, but I think you know, we've seen that in some of these games where you know these lineups and some of these guys, and they, they eventually step up and make, make plays. So uh, perhaps it was outplaying so well in the Northwestern game that you know gave him a little bit extra. But I, I was a little bit surprised just because of the importance of, of defense to Archie and how much Al was struggling on that end of the floor. Good deal. Tyler, last question to you. What's been your favorite thing uh, being part of uh, Inside the Hall Assembly Call and, and following Indiana basketball, especially since you're that North Carolina fan? Um, I think this year is, I guess, a couple of things, just building relationships, meeting different people um, like you guys, just guys that are, uh, you know, passionate about IU basketball and, and, and covering it. And um, I guess the other thing is I just feel really fortunate this year to be able to go to the games because so many people can't. I just I feel like that's just a, a, a great blessing to um, be afforded the opportunity to, to go to all these games and, and, and experience kind of just history, I guess, has never happened before. So, um, yeah, I guess I guess those would be the biggest things this year. Well, again, um, on behalf of us at Assembly Call and, and uh, myself personally, thank you for what you do and the angles that you take. Uh, I th- we think you do a, a really good job. Thank you for joining us tonight. And, you know, we're here um, for you as, as you need us and uh, keep up the good work. All right, yeah, thank you very much. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five.